Welcome to episode two of The Form Guide, where we have inspiring conversations about managing our mental health and our form. Our guest this week is Shireen Daniels, who is one of the UK's leading anti-racism advocates in business. My name is Rob Stevenson and I'm your host today. Thank you for joining us. So, Shireen, Alexander O'Neill, criticise. Welcome to the Form Guide. It is great to have you here. Thanks for joining us. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, and thank you for having me. Always nice to start off with Alexander O'Neill, isn't it? <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a classic. We need to we need to hear more from him. I don't know what he's uh, he's up to these days, but we need to bring him back. Um, but thank you for for joining us. This is the form guide where we talk all things mental health and well being. And you are a, an amazing advocate for the anti racism movement. You're managing director for HR Rewired. You are an advocate for anti-racism in business and you are vice chair of the Black Business Association and you're a HR conversationalist. Conversationalist? Conversationalist. Um, how do you fit it all in? I don't know. And it's not, it's not until you say it out loud that I think, oh gosh, that's a lot. But somehow I manage. <laughs> I manage. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. Well, that's, that comes from when you're being driven, right? So look, we can start with a question, which is, how are you today? We always ask this question um, on the form score. So we, we typically ask people to reflect on, you know, how well have you slept? How well have you exercised? What are your connections like at the moment? What's your sense of purpose, which I'm sure is pretty high for you? How's your financial well-being, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm a great form today, nine out of 10. Two reasons for that. One, because I'm talking to you. Um, and secondly, I've just seen the new release of the FormScore app, and I'm so excited about it. It's like realizing my visions of what I wanted to create. But how about you, Shireen? How's your, what's your score today? So I would say I'm a seven, and I'm a seven because I'm meant to be in Barbados right now, but national lockdown means I'm still here in Kent. So that is like... <laughs> it's not good. It is not good. Um, and probably need to be exercising a lot more. Um, but I've had COVID, so that's like my reason and excuse. So I will get back on it. So that's the that's the the bits that stop me from being um, a ten. But what has bumped it up is being here with you, Rob. Oh, there you thank go. you, thank you so much, Lady Shireen. And how are you how are you getting on with the the recovering from the COVID? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. So very lucky to not be hospitalised, or um, I've still got like what I call COVID cough. So that's still lingering around. But all in all, I mean, it was rubbish, but um, I feel like I'm on the other side. But I know I still get a little bit headaches. I still feel a little bit tired out of nowhere, out of nowhere. Um, but all in all, I'm all right. I'm doing well. Yeah, brilliant. Good for you. So look, we're going to do a quick fire round. We've got a couple of uh, a couple of questions to start with. Um, and if mental health were an animal, what would it be? Um, it would be a leopard. Leopard. Uh, so because leopards can like hide in the vegetation, be quite, you know, slinky and, and um, unobtrusive. But then when they're ready to make their presence known that you there's no missing them. That's really profound because, you know, we all have mental health, but it's often hidden away and it shouldn't be. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it can be a little bit hidden in the vegetation and we want to encourage people to uh, to bring it out. I love that. The the leopard of mental health. Uh, that could yeah. be another thing to add to your LinkedIn profile, Shireen. It could. Uh, it could. <laughs> can you imagine how often I'd have to explain that? <laughs> yeah, the leopard of mental health. That's right. Well, I've got a little octopus on mine because the octopus, right? 
it's a really interesting one. It, it's um, its brains are all over the place. It's got brains in its head and it's its tentacles, and it expresses how it feels um, with a colour. So if it's fear, ah. it'll be a different colour to anger. Um, hence the form changing uh, colours that we use. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, so I love the little octopus I've got on my on my. Oh, profile. I love that. <laughs> yeah. So um, one more question on this um, is: um, if mental health were a colour, what would it be? I would say blue. Um, to represent the sky above and the ocean like the expanse of the ocean so I just it's just a calming color for me because as I said it reminds me of both of those two things so yeah I love that I love that and, and you know we, we chose blue as the the, the the colors for really good form nine and ten because again blue sky you know what I love the idea that if even on the most stormiest of day behind the clouds there is always a blue sky and the sun shining so, so Hundred percent, hundred percent. Really good answer. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much for that. So we go through the quick fire round. If um, mental health were a song, what would it be? Um, <clears throat> this is a random song. If anyone's a Michael Jackson fan, will remember um, his "Dangerous." Uh, was it "Dangerous"? It was called "Dangerous" yeah. album in the beginning of the nineteen nineties. <clears throat> and there's a song called Will You Be There? It's like the longest song ever, eight minutes. So it's got like a opera thingy, symphony going on at the beginning. And it just starts and then it just lifts and lifts and lifts and lifts and lifts. It's got gospel singers. It's got the whole, it's, it's, it's like a whole out-of-body experience. So that's how I would amazing yeah, yeah I, th I think for mental health songs it's it's really interesting with songs that build and, and lift and for me I've got one that's a it's a drum and bass song and, it, and I'm not that into drum and bass but it, it starts off really melodic and then it just builds and builds and it's very uplifting by the end so we're going to put that in the show notes and I'm going to check that one out I haven't heard that album yeah. for a long I'll time I'll send you a link I'll send you a link when you hear it you'll recognize it. yeah. it's like a bit of an obscure one where people go oh my god I forgot about this song love it yeah love it love it um this might be a bit of a sore point actually but if mental health were holiday destination what would it be would it be barbados yeah. would it be it would be, probably be barbados or somewhere hot yeah. you know somewhere 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 hot yeah okay last one as we do this if you can make a sound that is your representation of mental health what would that sound be uh, i've got no idea rob uh, i thought it was the uh no <laughs> So, Maybe so, that, so, that, that could be the sound. Uh, that, yeah, it could I've be. I've got though. no idea. Yeah, so um, Jody Hill um, uh, from from the, the first guest last week was a bit of a ah. It was like a frustrating sound because oh. you know she she experiences anxiety. She's open about that, and and for her, it's sometimes you know our mental health can we can't control it sometimes, and it can be a bit bit frustrating. Oh, no, no. But yours is a bit of a need... ah, bit of a yeah, yeah. I need to think about that. Yeah, okay. Well, if it pops mm -hmm. into you, if it comes to you, let, let us have it as, yeah. as we I will do. As, I will as we do. go through. So thank you. That's the quick fire round over there. Mark, Mark, <coughs> Mark Lee commented there. These are very hard questions. I totally agree. They're not easy. So thank you. They are hard. They, they are, are hard. They are hard. But I, I love I love love the mental health leopard. Uh, absolutely. And and the blue colour. So, yeah, some good uh, good things for us to think about there. So, look, we're both passionate about our respective causes, and we're going to hear all yeah. about yours uh, in a second. Um, and I think it's really interesting to look at that sort of intersection between um, our mental health and, and the things that we are really passionate about. Um, and I'd also like, as a course of, of, of the, this discussion, to talk a bit about 
the kind of mental health differences um, that, that we uh, experience uh, across, um, you know, black and white, and you know, why perhaps you know for for BAME or black people that some of the uh, the stigma of mental health might be a little bit more pronounced. Um, so that's our broad theme today. But look, you are one of the UK's leading advocates for abolishing racism in business. Talk us through your journey, Shireen, and, and, and kind of what was the light bulb moment when you decided to become uh, an advocate? Um, so, goodness me, my, um, I would love to say it was a light bulb moment, Rob, it was like deep trauma and crisis to be honest yeah. but yeah so which which fits nicely actually yeah. with what we're going to talk about so my moment came uh, in the summer of last year um with the summer of protests that we had and it wasn't so much the the murder of George Floyd it was actually the video of Amy Cooper in Central Park I don't know if anybody remembers that but that was the woman who the white woman who's walking her dog and you know threatened to call the police on the black man so that that was my um tipping point um, that forced me to feel the need to kind of share my experiences of, you know, being black, being a woman and trying to navigate um, predominantly white spaces in my um, corporate career and actually my education by university. Um, and um, the, it, it wasn't planned, it was accidental, you know, and it, it was a video that I did, um, didn't plan it and had a breakdown about posting it publicly, um, had a didn't sleep the night before, uh, cried and was basically all sorts of hot messness when I wanted to share it on LinkedIn and write the caption, but I just felt that I had to. And then pretty much I've been mouth almighty <laughs> ever since. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, my, I always say like my coming out parade, just the 31st <laughs> of May last year, that's when I recorded this video. So I've been a foghorn pretty yeah. much since then. Brilliant. Well, I, I, I love your foghornness um, and it's great to witness and the impact that you're having. But to, to, talk me through that video a little bit. Talk us through the, the, the message you, you, you had in there for those that haven't seen it. So the, the, the message that I wanted to convey is so when everything was going on in the US at that time in the UK, we were going, oh, thank goodness, we don't have a problem with racism. You know, look at all the different nationalities that we have. Look how multicultural we are. You only have to step into London, Manchester, Leeds, Birmingham, you know, Bristol, you know, look at look at all of that. And, and, and I also had people who know me, I would say like professional um, networks saying, you know, well, Shreen, clearly you can't have experienced racism because look at the things that you've achieved, look at the things that you've done, you know, you've got degrees you've got this you've done this you've done that and I was just like inside I was going no 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 and it was the it was the reflection and the realization Rob that I'd stayed quiet for 17 years because I didn't want anyone to see the color of my skin so I put the comfort of white people before myself because they felt uncomfortable talking about race or racism so I stayed quiet because I didn't want to be that black woman talking about this that makes everyone feel uncomfortable so in the video it was like me expressing in about 20 minutes just from a from a work perspective but also from a life perspective like this is how it has impacted me and we cannot keep it under the the rug it can't sweep it under the rug anymore so like my my call to action at the end of that is like what are you doing to support black colleagues in the workplace who potentially feel or have felt like I do like what are you doing with all of this stuff going on so that was kind of the video 
Brilliant and, and well done for, for pushing the button. And how, how you, you mentioned that that was a, a, a difficult and even traumatic time. How do you feel that, it, that that part of your journey impacted your well-being and mental health? Um, I think, goodness me, I do think it's almost like, you know, you've got to confront your biggest fear. For me, that was my, my the biggest fear I was confronting, which I'd never given voice to. I'd never reflected on it too deeply was that if I started being the one to speak about racism and you know white supremacy and the fact we have to dismantle it. So I'm not even talking about diversity and inclusion, Rob. Everyone else was going, oh yeah, and I was like, no, no, no. It's racist, very, very specific. And it was that thought about if I do this, I am not going to be accepted by white people. And it's not about, you know, when I say this, people go, oh, what do you mean accepted? when you're black and you're navigating the workspace and you're navigating business and there is not a lot of people that looks like you, you are beholden to white people recognizing your potential, what you can do, how you can do it and co-signing your ability to get opportunities. Mm. And so I realized that I had lived my whole life muting myself and therefore internalizing racism, internalizing my thoughts, internalizing how I was, treated and how I saw other people being treated until it was literally like a pressure cocker and I thought I can't do this any like, I, I can't sit here and pretend that this is an issue for the US and the other dynamic just so um, people can be aware of, of, of kind of my my home situation my partner is Estonian so we have um, a two-year-old child who is biracial and she's white passing so if you look at her you wouldn't even know she has a black mother um, but I have um, a daughter, an elder daughter, so there's 10 years difference between the two, and she is black. So I was very acutely conscious of the fact that I'm entering into a society now where the two of them will have a very different experience purely because of the colour of their skin. And how do I reconcile that around the dinner table when they're talking to me about what's going on at work? I mean, they're not there yet, but this is some of the stuff was going on in my head, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it, 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 it's interesting you talk about that pressure building. That must have been quite difficult. Um, and, and I guess it, it it took the catalyst to release it. But as you say, you've been the big foghorn since then in a very positive way. Uh, do, do you feel you're almost sort of making up for lost time, if I could call it that? Or um, yeah. yeah get... Oh, yeah. Listen, 100 percent. So why? <coughs> A few years ago, I think back in 2012, I've had uh, stage four Hodgkin's lymphoma, which is blood cancer. Yes. And um, just as an example of sometimes how you can internalize some of the things that was going on, I took redundancy from one job um, at the time I was diagnosed. It was like, it was, it, was, it was 2012 was not a good year from that point of view. And during chemotherapy, I was job hunting. So I was you know when anyone who's had cancer or know anyone who has cancer is you're getting pills like you know the bag of this you got to take this one this one this one this one this one for this pill you know and I remember being in boots pretty much every day getting painkillers to cope with you know job hunts and I had no hair lost all my hair and um when I started a new job I didn't tell anyone I had cancer and I didn't tell anyone I had cancer because I thought I'm new I'm black in a business where I'm the only one so I've already got that aspect. So I didn't want to make an issue out of that. If I'm now the black person with cancer, I've got no chance. Absolutely. I mean, I wouldn't recommend it. So please do not, anyone listening, do not copy what I did. But 
you know, at that time. That, and that was, again, a reaction to the society, but also my experience within the workplace. I'm like, I'm already the odd one out. I'm already the only one. Like, if I tell people that, you know, I'm one step away from terminal cancer, like, <laughs> it, it, in my mind, I just felt like it was over. So when I fast forward to last year and thinking about all, you know, what was going on and, and, and racism in this country and my experience and almost the cost of the silence, you know, the cost of me not talking about it, the cost of me internalizing, like not telling people I had cancer. So there's people who only found out because they saw interviews that I did and they were like, I had no idea. And I had um, a pick line, which is where they do the chemo in my, in my arm. So it's like all patched up. So people couldn't understand why I used to wear this special sleeve on, yeah. on, you know, on my arm. And I never told anybody until I was in remission. Touchwood, I'm still in, you know, remission. My consultant nicely told me to do one. Don't want to see me. Don't want to see me again. <laughs> and, um, you know, and so, but I think about the link with mental health in this is that if you feel like it's not safe for you to speak about what you're going through, if you feel like you're going to be judged, if you feel like people don't understand, and this is where the racial trauma element comes into this, is because for myself, and I know there's a lot of Black people who have experienced this, if you're trying to talk to people about how racism, racial discrimination has impacted you, and you're talking to people who don't understand, it means you're never heard. Yeah. And if you're never heard, it means you stop trying to have the conversation because how, how can I explain something that you don't understand? But not only do you not understand it, you tell me that you don't see race, you don't see colour. You, you say to me, well, you know, do you not think there's an element of you're being too sensitive? Do you not think there's an element of, you know, not everything is about race. Um, so, you know, sometimes other things are in play and you're thinking, I just need help. What I don't need is somebody trying to avoid having the conversation that makes them feel uncomfortable. But the reaction to that is you stay quiet. How many people suffer with mental health issues and don't tell anybody because they're worried that people don't understand or they, they um, will gaslight or dismiss because they don't have that experience to be able to empathize. It's not to understand, it's just to empathize. And I think that's why I, in a roundabout way, you know, when you said, can we talk? I was like, Rob, <laughs> please, can we talk about this? Because I feel like it's a massive um, area of mental health that is ignored. And I think the other aspect to add to that is I think there are other individuals within other communities who also feel like the mental health movement as a whole um, caters to a particular individual or a particular group of individuals and it leaves a lot of people behind does that does that make sense yeah yeah it does and and this there's, there's so there's so many things I want to say in response to to sorry to, to I, 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 I can never yeah. give like a surface level response I've always got to take it like 10, <laughs> ten levels no no, below. no no it's good it makes my job easier but that we talk a lot about psychological safety. There's an international standard coming out this year on on, on psychological safety in the workplace, and and you know the thought of because of the color of your skin, you felt unsafe in in disclosing that you had a potentially terminal illness and and, st and stage four cancer. I mean, it's kind of shocking, isn't it? It's really shocking that that actually you you felt that way and feeling so unsafe, and and that has to change. It has to change. 
Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. And I think, you know, what I will say where the correlations between um, the work that you do and the work that I do is, is one of the things that I talk about in relation to anti-racism and dismantling racism. Um, and the reason why I'm so, um, what's the word? Um, direct about how what I do is not diversity, inclusion and belonging is because if you look at racism, you see the impact of what happens when you don't put in specific interventions for specific issues. Like um, one of the things that the um, analogies that I use when I talk to executive boards about anti-racism is, and I said, you've got to understand that diversity and inclusion is like you having a GP in your organization. When it comes to anti-racism, what you need is a surgeon who specializes and understands racism. Brilliant. In mental health, you can have general approach to mental health within your organization. So that's the GP approach. But if there's somebody who is black, there, if there is somebody who has, um, even within the disability, and I'm not even using that as a group, I'm saying, you know, the specific things. If there's somebody who, is a lesbian or who's non-binary or you know all these things they need very specific interventions and if you don't put in the specific interventions because you take everything as like one homogenous glob there are many people who are not being served you know and so I always say why do we accept that in the medical sense that we need a GP we need a in my sense I need a hematologist who specializes in blood somebody else is going to need something else we accept that but when it comes to something within the workplace we still want to do a, a broad brush and so that's where um and even you and I doing this conversation today I had to block three people from my post when I posted about it there was a woman who came um and these are um, people from the UK not the US right. there was a woman who came on and said um this is getting on my nerves now. Not everything has to do with race. Mental health is mental health. And I blocked her. I thought I'm not even, get, you know, I'm not even getting into the conversation, yeah. you know, and somebody else said, you know, why does this always have to be all black or a white thing? So, you know, and I probably should have left it there, but I thought it's, it's, it's affecting my form score. So I'm taking it off. I need to maintain, but this is, um, and I use this as an example to say, so when people feel like we're living in, a post-racial society when people feel like you know the work that you do and they say well you know there's a lot more awareness because we're talking about mental health more and I'm a bit like there's so much more that we need to kind of get into here um and when you see that reaction I'm a bit like why do you think then that black colleagues don't say like I need some help um if if they know that's the reaction why do they not talk to their manager when before their manager has said well I just think you're being overly sensitive or I think this or I think that um or they make jokes about you know people not being all there and you know all of this sort of stuff when it comes to mental health and it's a bit like so is it any wonder you don't know what's going on until sometimes it's too late you know yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it, I mean, we can we could go down that route of talking about social media and why people feel that they have permission to make those sort of comments. Um, and and, but I think yeah, you know, it, it's it's really interesting, isn't it? This it's comments like that that tell you that your work is not done, and and it's the same yeah. with 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 the kind of mental health agenda. 
it's uh, as, as long as people feel unable to talk about their mental health um, and their mental ill health and seek help, the work is not done. Um, how do you think we're doing in terms of corporate UK um, in, the, in the, the number of months you've been really focusing on this since May last year um, in the anti-racism agenda? Um, I think I would give us like a two out of 10 if I had to, not a form score 10, this is general, just to be yeah. quick. I would give us like a two out of 10. And I think and the reason why I say that is because um, we're still stuck, and I say we, so collective, we're, st we're still stuck in this space of thinking that because we're not racist, this is an issue that doesn't affect me. We still think this is an issue only for black people and therefore only for black people to solve. And we're also deeply uncomfortable about having the, not only the conversation, but knowing that the conversation has to lead to some sort of action. And that action might expose us as not being the experts, as not knowing everything, as potentially being rejected by people who don't look like me. And fundamentally, some people aren't willing to sacrifice that, even though they're not anti-equality. Yeah. yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I do. I, I get it. And, and that silence, um, that, that not speaking your mind or not being able to be yourself because of the, the fear of how you might be treated or perceived. For me, that, I think that negatively affects mental health and, and I can yeah. I can sort of share that in a reverse example that since I've been open about my challenges of bipolar the incidences of the real deep depression that I get as part of that are less frequent and I can get through them a lot quicker because I'm not carrying the burden of pretending to be something I'm not pretending to smile when I'm really sad or whatever it might yeah. be do you feel that the um the the burden of of that silence is detrimental to to, to mental health and have you experienced that yeah, I do. I do think it is because what happens is it, it like it builds, it builds, it builds, it builds, it builds. So rather than you having an an instant something that needs, you know, whatever it is that you need to kind of get yourself to where you would think, okay, I'm in the credit rather than you know rather yeah. than the debit point of view, right? Whatever that is, if you ignore it, something else happens, and then it's the compound interest to mm. use my financial analogy of those things building and building and building and building and I think um where I would love to see us get to um in the workplace is spend do you know what I would love and I know you'll understand when I say this I would love the work that you and I do to be obsolete yeah. and the reason why I would love it to be obsolete is because I would love the idea of the fact that we spend more time looking at the cultures and the behavior and the, the skill sets and and the um the capabilities that we develop and the way we structure organizations and the and and from that point of view to not have them be contributing factors to people's mental health because the reality is you know in in in, in the context of racism it's not only society but it's what happens within cultures that were contributing to the mental health I'm not saying that's the case and that, that was my situation and I know there are other people who feel the same way so it's almost like well how can you make sure that the workplace is not a contributing factor that it's not perpetuating what you're already going through um, and spend 
60, 70% of our time there, which means the 40% is where we're getting into specific surgeon, not GP interventions, yeah. because that's yeah. about the individual nature of what people are going through. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, you know, I, yeah, that's, you know, that's like my utopia. I'm not sure we're going to see it in our lifetime, if I'm honest, Rob, so we'll be very busy. But, you know, that's what I would hope that we, we just start to change our thinking around it. And, you know, just because it works for many, who look like you doesn't mean you can ignore it because it doesn't work for people who look like me because you don't understand it is not an excuse not to put in something in place you yeah. know yeah I, I I agree with you completely and you know I think when people ask me what what success looks like with the inside out leaderboard initiative where we publish the list of business leaders who are open about their challenges of mental ill health for me, success looks like where it would be ridiculous to um, to publish a list of, of business leaders with mental right. Ill health because people are open about it. Like it would, you know, imagine putting the top 100 FTSE executives with a broken leg. You, you'd be laughed <laughs> out of town. Yeah, 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 um, yeah But you, you think you think it's that ingrained that the timescale is not in our lifetime for for, for for your 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 you know your passion and, and anti-racism. I. I would love to tell you differently, but I think it's so um, it's so ingrained. And I think when you understand what racism is, so forget the individual behaviours, forget that. It's not about name calling. It's not about whether you are, you know, you're racist or this person's racist. It's not about that. When you understand it's it's the cultural elements, it's how black people are portrayed versus white people. It's the messages that we receive. It's the stereotypes, it's the biases that we have based not necessarily on our interactions, possibly so, but based on our lack of interactions with people who are different. Then when you understand the institutional elements, so that's about systems, policies, practices, behaviors that are all woven together um, to benefit people who don't look like me. What you have to recognize is we live in a very individualistic society. So it takes a lot to step out of the collective to go against the grain to say this is not right you know and I think yes there are people who are doing that but there isn't enough you can see it based on the language that's used when you talk about racism they're still talking about the need to build diverse workforces and I'm like no what you need to do is dismantle racism because everybody will flock to you everybody you know no matter who everyone will flock to you because they know you take this seriously and so that's why I think we have a lot more work work to do because not everyone wants to get into the weeds of it all yeah. you know there are exceptions I have some fabulous clients and I have to say some very progressive CEOs who and I think the ones that make the difference are the ones who, who've said this is a personal issue for me mm. you know it's not enough that I'm a white man or a white woman you know and I've, I'm you know my life is good or whatever this is a personal mission for me so I'm going to do what I can to transform my organization unfortunately that is the exception rather than the norm yeah, and, and I agree with you, and, and we see that on the mental health agenda as well. Those that are make it a, a, either a direct, they have a personal challenge, so it drives them more, they think it's the right thing to do, and they make that a strategic priority. When you're advising CEOs and leadership teams on how to tackle racism, and this is a big question I'm about to ask you. That's right. You know, how do you go about doing that? Because um, it's obviously ingrained, it's cultural, it's it's different levels, Um yeah what are your kind of you know, helicopter view as to how to tackle it I think the first thing is before 
I always say to people like, don't jump into solution mode. Mm. And the reason why I say don't jump into solution mode is because you've got to make sure that you have a foundational amount of knowledge about what the problem is. Um, you know, and, and going back to my cancer point, I use that as a classic example, even though they knew I had stage four cancer, even though I had a massive tumor on my chest, before they decided the chemotherapy to go and use and the different combinations of all the, you know, positive poison, as I called it, um, they had to do a battery of tests, some very painful tests to just make sure they understood what was going on in my system. And that's the same thing. So I think for too long, we've jumped into solution mode without understanding the issue. So part of my, my job is to help them understand so they can work out what the problem is and what solutions that may or may not work within their organization. Because again, that's when you start getting into performative stuff. And I promise you 99% of the performative actions that we see, whether it's about mental health or whether it's about racism, whether it's about other forms of discrimination and other forms of marginalization and oppression comes from people who are either executing those or making the decisions. They don't understand the problem. So there's a lack of sensitivity around it. So they're just reacting to what they think they should do without making sure they've got stuff in their backpack. Do you know what I mean? So, and that's where I always say, you know, understand understand the problem and then you can start to think about your own personal relationship with racism and almost how much you are willing what are you willing to sacrifice to be part of the solution versus perpetuating the problem so they've got to decide with that before they do anything because they will do more harm than good if you just jump in thinking you know it when really you're like I don't really know this yeah yeah that's that's really good advice and, and again i think it's not we can't tick the box with this like we can't with mental health we've got to get into it and understand what's going on properly and, and mm. yeah culture change takes a long time um it does so if, if we we talk about your coming out of, of kind of may of last year and we we've discussed some of the challenges and that compound interest on the stress and the they're not being able to be yourself and not feeling safe what about post coming out? And if you were to say, you know, look at your form score in the months following that compared to the years before, how would you say that has been? And, and what are the different challenges you face in terms of mental health when you are so driven, when you are so passionate right now? Um, I would say um, my form score is probably a nine. Um, and I would say it's a nine and I can explain why it's not a 10. So I'd say it's a nine because personally I feel like I'm doing what I was meant to do you know I feel like you know I can say to people and I don't even flinch and I feel proud to say you know I'm an advocate for anti-racism you know I the way that I express myself and is is through a medium of a video which I love and clearly I've done a lot of video um and I love it in live conversations and amplifying other people who are doing the work so there's a freedom that comes with me being able to talk about whatever I want to talk about in relation to this. And the only way I was able to do that, Rob, is because I, this is not about me. The second I start thinking this is about me, I'm then conscious of what other people think. I'm then worried about, oh, you know, what are people gonna think if I share another article that talks about white supremacy? What are people gonna think if I share another article that taught, you know, whatever else, or if I do a video on it? The second I get into that zone, that's about my ego. 
and that's about safety and that's about me trying to retreat into safety and if I go there I might as well go back to where I was pre-summer of 2020 so there's a there's a freedom and there's a challenge that comes and that's why I say it's a 10 because I have to work at this every single day like I always say to people you know I talk about one of the most divisive topics in the, like the world of conversation yeah. um, and I'm a black woman talking about it so there's you, you've got that double-edged sword um so I've got to practice every single day not retreating to safety which is to say less or say nothing um I've got to practice every day to make sure that I don't internalize some of the abuse that I get online not from um, as people like to say, oh, yeah, but they're just like uneducated people. These are like CEOs, marketing directors, HR. Di- Listen, if you saw my block list and screenshots of some of the things that get said, these these are very senior individuals. And I have to find ways to not internalize that and also not let that adjust what I try to do and the message that I'm trying to share. Do you know what I mean? So that's yeah. why I say it's not a 10 because I have to work at it every single day. Yeah. And how do you do that? How do you stay well when you've got to deal with stuff like that? And when you've, you've got to not internalize some, you know, I, I'd imagine pretty horrible things that people will, will say to you. How do you how do you prioritize your own mental health and well-being through those those challenges? I think the difference between I think what I do now versus what I've done, you know, for you know all of my corporate career, not to say that I like I didn't enjoy it, but there was definitely a disconnect, I would say, um, is like fundamentally I love what I do like you know even though (laughs) trust me like I wouldn't wish some of the stuff that I get on my worst enemy but fundamentally the the messages that I get from people who are saying you know that I'm helping them across all ethnicities from all over the world tells me that I'm doing the right thing to keep going but what I am very good at is switching off and just doing what I call like Shireen stuff. So, you know, I like TV series. So I try and make sure when my partners are on night shifts, you know, we, it's like, a you know, I have a deadline to get stuff done so we can sit and watch two episodes of whatever it is that we're watching. What's on, um, what's, what's on the Netflix at the moment, Shireen? Well, we're actually on Amazon Prime. I don't know whether this is a good idea to be watching the show if anyone's seen it, but Stephen is based on a Stephen King novel. It's called The Stand about the virus that my wife's out <laughs> Well, you know, if we're in it, we're in it, right? <laughs> Well, listen, we live for a virus. We love all of that. Armageddon, you know, all of this kind of dystopian world, like love yeah. all, like Westworld, all of that sort of stuff. We love all of that. Yeah. Um, and car chases and bombs and, you know, all of that. Love all of that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, so time for that. And uh, reading romance novels. I know, it's very random. <laughs> I've been a fan of romance novels since I was 14 years old and I read Danielle Steele and Rosamond Pilcher if anybody knows any of these two authors and my Reader's Digest um, little box thing my mum used to get (laughs) brilliant no I wouldn't have picked that Um, you know I'm a big sci-fi fan myself so I like to read about aliens and spaceships yeah 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 I like fantasy aspects of of, of sci-fi yeah, yeah, so yeah, you know, flying beats and all of that sort of stuff brilliant and it's important we we keep those things i mean for me i think you touched on it earlier as well the the challenge when you're so passionate when you have found your purpose and you're so driven is you can push yourself really hard and you can neglect you know some of those other aspects of, of well-being 
that we need to be in balance. And it's, as you say, it's a juggling out that we never get perfectly right. But my wife is brilliant at keeping my feet on the ground um, yeah, and, and reminding me thank to... Thank goodness for partners and kids and, and friends and, yeah. you know, all of that good stuff. Absolutely. So, look, one more question for you. Um, if, if, you're, if you were giving some advice to somebody who is... I think, you know, pre your kind of coming out period and, and really being able to express themselves, whether they're black or white, whatever, on the racism, anti-racism agenda and are struggling with their um, yeah, kind of well-being and mental health as a, as a result. What would be your one main piece of advice for somebody uh, that, that you were in that position pre-May? I think. And I know it sounds really cliche because we say this all the time. Right. But I would say, you know, reach out for help and I'm going to qualify that look because everyone goes oh yeah you know people be phoning you know organizations go we've got eap and i'm like no no it doesn't it doesn't work like that i think the first thing that i would say um and i you know clearly as i said i accidentally fell into the form of video but whether you write it down whether you um record yourself just say out loud what you're struggling with. Say out loud what's bothering you. It doesn't matter if it's not to another person. Like I always, I always sometimes fear that we kind of jump to like the massive next step, which is, you know, reach out, call the, this person. And sometimes we have to be able to acknowledge to ourselves that something isn't right. That, that, that fundamentally there's a disconnect in, in, in some way because you know, deep down, we do know, like we, we know when things aren't, we, we know. Yeah. But you have to be able to give it voice and to give it voice makes it real. And when it's out there, so if you've written it down, it's something you can just do. You don't need to do anything with it immediately. Mm. You can leave it, but just get it done and go back and reflect. If you've recorded a video, like I haven't even rewatched my first video, like I can't, I'm Shireen, you know, but the purpose of that is not, for you to go oh look here it is it's to make it real because I think when you when you that takes it from in here and puts it to here and then you're like right I've got to do something with this yeah. so then when you've done that potentially and I'm not it's very different for everybody but you will start to think about what do I do with this what do I do with this piece of paper that I've just written this on what do I do with this mp4 file that I've just recorded or this voice note that I've sent myself on whatsapp like what do I do with that and I think sometimes it makes it a lot easier because you've already attempted to voice it yourself before you then have to articulate it to somebody else yeah. you know so i know it's a very random bit of advice but I don't, I don't think it is you know i think it's really powerful and intuitively you know the concept of journaling for example is 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 great for our well-being and and particularly if we have worries or particularly we have things that are that, that are bothering us and now this is a big thing that we're talking about but actually getting that out of our heads onto the act of putting that on a piece of paper um, or a video or whatever the medium is, it, it's actually taking it out outside of us. And then that allows us, as you say, to act on it, but it also can perhaps release that compound interest that you, you, you mentioned a little bit. So fantastic. Shireen, I could literally talk to you all day. Um, thank you uh, so much. It's been a real pleasure getting your perspectives. And I think you know, it's really interesting to, to, to see the intersection with mental health, both in 
in terms of you being a passionate campaigner and your journey to, to become one. Um, so thank you for sharing your wisdom um, and vibrancy with us. Um, sorry that you can't be in uh, Barbados. Um, I know. Don't you, worry. I'm trying to go away in April. So fingers crossed you, we can you, get away. You will be there. And look, we've uh, next week uh, on Friday, actually, we've got Nikki Green, who is the managing director of The Contented Child. And we're going to be having a chat on how to create healthy home learning environments, very relevant right now. So uh, tune in for that, for those that uh, uh, have little ones that they're looking after. Thank you so much for listening. This is the form guide where we're all about proactively managing our form and mental well-being. Thank you so much, everyone.